0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 169 of the Justin Inside podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Tim Backbeck, and to quote Modern Life is War, it feels like end times right now. Um, I mean, I know it has for a, a while, but uh, with the UK announcing, well, the UK government, I should say, announcing that we're going into another national lockdown. In the coming days, and the idiotic people that are in charge not having a clue what the fuck they're doing, uh, yeah, it's it's not not looking great. Like things don't seem to be showing any signs of getting better anytime soon. And I'm sorry to start the show on such a bummer note, but unfortunately, those are just the facts right now. Um, and on top of that, we've got the U.S. presidential election happening tonight when this episode will go out. And God knows what the hell is going to happen there. I mean, like, obviously, we want Trump to get the fuck out of there, but Joe Biden's not exactly a saint himself either, is he? So, yeah, bit of a a bummer week this week, unfortunately. But hey ho, I hope everyone keeps safe when this lockdown happens again. I hope everyone manages to sort of just keep their sanity unfortunately like when it happened last time the weather was quite nice so people were actually able to go outside and enjoy the weather so but we're heading into winter and that doesn't maybe seem like a thing that's possible but yeah hope everyone looks after themselves keep safe talk to your friends talk to your loved ones and whatnot and yeah just let's knuckle down and get through this get 2020 out of the fucking way and let's hope for a better year next year um Anyway, to switch completely, um, before we kind of get into this week's guest, there's actually a, a couple of other podcasts that I wanted to shout out that um, some good friends of mine are doing. So some of you may be aware, I also run a football-based podcast called Punks on the Pitch. If you're not and you like football, please go check that out. Uh, but in a similar vein, two friends of mine, they run a World Cup-themed podcast called Got Got Need. Um, they've just started their second series, the, the new series kicked off yesterday on Monday. Um, And yeah, it's a really cool show. The guys go uh, really deep into either specific games or specific teams or specific eras of the World Cup. Um, And they've got a really insightful view of it. So if you like World Cup history, then this is the show for you. Um, Secondly, the second show I want to shout out is actually hosted by a former guest of this show, um, Kat from Farm, and a good mutual friend of both of us, uh, Sarah O'Malley, they've launched the Double Day podcast. Um, it's a show which kind of covers all things hardcore political from uh, a, a non-male perspective, essentially. Like, it's ironic me saying this, but one of the things about hardcore and punk and metal is that a lot of the dominating voices are male or cis white male specifically, and... Um, so these two wanted to kind of give their perspective on things and like I'm not just saying this because they're friends of mine but I think they're two people that are very well positioned within the scene to have those conversations so yeah the first episode is a really cool one like it's just kind of them two introducing themselves but going a bit more into sort of what they want to achieve with the podcast and so on and so forth but that's definitely one to kind of keep an eye out for in the future as well so that's the double day of podcast um, right, that is enough from me. Let's get into to our guest for this week. And this one is one I'm super excited to share with you. Um, I had initially been putting it off because I wanted to do this face to face. But yo, Covid's a thing and that didn't allow it. But um, I'm joined by drummer of Morrow and bassist of uh, atmospheric post-rock band i guess uh shells uh bassist dave robinson um me and dave met a few years ago at fluff fest which i i'm not sure if he remembers this but i find it was a really kind of funny interaction like we had done the, the normal kind of like introduction of oh hi this is dave blah, blah blah but um it was the year that morrow headlined we talk about that headline set in the conversation but they'd done a run of shows with svalbard and for people that know um i regularly do merch and tour with Svalbard um so after Svalbard set at Fluff I was doing their merch now festival like merch tents are fucking nuts and literally as soon as Svalbard finished there was just like a horde of people and I was just running around like a lunatic and Dave bless his heart got me some water helped me out where I could and that was kind of our first interaction and ever since then we've been really good friends uh I've been able to talk with him as well when he joined us with Svalbard I got to know him a bit better and when once I kind of discovered that he was part of Shells like again we get into this in the conversation Shells was a big sort of band for me growing up um so I kind of fanboyed out a little bit and I wanted to get him on the show and lo and behold now we have it so yeah uh anyway we discussed him and his first band kind of going out on, on tour in America on a whim sort of like not really knowing what to expect. uh, We discuss him joining Devil Soldier Soul and being part of their seminal record, A Fragile Hope. Uh, And yeah, the kind of cult sort of fandom that uh, surrounds Shells, as well as everything that's going on with Morrow and what the plans are with that project in the future. So yeah, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Dave, and I'll see you on the other side. So, uh joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is DB King and just general lovely lovely man, uh Dave Robinson. Dave, thank you very much for taking some time to do this. Um I kind of wanted to do this face to face, but COVID won't allow it. So but yeah, how is it How are you?
1: I'm good. Yeah. Uh like we were yeah, just saying nothing to report. It's a it's groundhog day. But uh generally all right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah working from home so I'm lucky that I can do that that's cool yeah uh so and my daughter iris is at nursery at the minute so she's there like twice a week so the rest of the time she's running around causing chaos while I'm trying to work but it's her uh, it's cool
0: or or being a member of your internet band of
1: course yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> which which I do want to talk about in a bit but we'll we'll get we'll get there later down the line um But yeah, we'll start how I always start. Like, I always want to kind of dive into what got you into music. So like, what was your kind of first exposure to like alternative music? What kind of got you into things in the start in place?
1: Well, I'm, I'm the youngest of of four. So I've got two older brothers and a sister, uh, and I just always thought that they were super cool. Just wanted to be like them, to be honest. And, uh. It was my oldest brother who, well, on family holidays and stuff, it was always like dire straits and queen in the car. And uh, yeah. and then my oldest brother got given a, a rush tape by actually an, right. an uncle. And uh, so I became pretty obsessed with that uh, pretty briefly, to be honest, uh, because, because <laughs> then I found he had a Metallica Garage, Day, Garage Days tape which right. i found when he was already away at university i just found this tape and just listened to it and that
0: was it just never looked back so what were you just kind of like not saying you're like digging through his room oh, but was, like, yeah. was it just <laughs> <laughs> what what specifically for music or just kind of... <laughs>
1: no it was music because his records were still there as well um yeah but uh i didn't really even i mean i was Nine or ten, I think. So I didn't really know how to use a record player, but uh, yeah, and without like damaging them all, certainly, I probably did damage a lot of them, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. tapes I just saw that one and saw the logo with the like spiky M and you know, I was like, all right, let's check this out, and then yeah, just the riffs really, it was just all about the like palm muting on the guitar, which just I just needed more of it and became,
0: yeah, obsessed. So, like. Was kind of, as you say, kind of being the youngest of four and like, as you say, listening to Dire Straits and stuff on family holidays, was like, like just general kind of guitar music, was that kind of something that was just around the house in general sort of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, there was a lot of folk, to be honest, mostly because um, yeah, Irish mum, Welsh dad, they were just well into loads of Irish folk music. But then right every now and then when they'd, you know, really let their hair down, they'd stick on Dire Straits queen <laughs> yeah i think that was pretty much it we had like three tapes in the car uh it might have been you too but i don't think i think we vetoed that as kids we were just like yeah.
0: boring to be fair I think like me and my brother were kind of very much the same like the ones on rotation were like omd tears for fears yeah. um oh, shit who was the other one oh it's gonna it's gonna annoy me but i'll have to check but yeah there was like a couple that were like on rotation when we went on like family holidays to France and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, same.
1: And you just, yeah.
0: And But every so often we'd like sneak like Soulfly in or Panther. Really? <laughs> that would not fly in my family. Absolutely not. Yeah. I can't understand the vocals. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So then in terms of like after following Discovering that Metallica like tape, what did, were you just kind of like then like diving in on your own or were you kind of like asking your brother for recommendations like how did you kind of like spare off from that well so he was
1: he was away at university and he would send me tapes now and then a mixtape oh, okay yeah um so that would inform so how much lot. older
0: was he if you don't want me asking he's
1: 8 years older than me okay um yeah and so he would send tapes but that was you know it would be like one or two a year but then it was so I grew up in you know, a small town in Cornwall with one at times two or three record shops and mm. it was just uh yeah you, I, I could afford one tape or cd a month and save up and yeah yeah through kerrang and stuff like that you know and the guy actually who who ran uh, saffron records in synostal he would recommend stuff and uh that could go either way but I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know you could take them back so i remember he used to I used to go there for a long period of time every Monday it was a uh, attack of the killer bees anthrax was due for release and every time I went right. there he would be like oh the van crashed or something like but i've got this and we would just come back with i remember there was paradise lost uh, icon he was like well this is basically the the british metallica so i checked this out yeah yeah and i got home and i was i was pretty pretty disappointed really but cuz <laughs> what there wasn't an anthrax <laughs> well just that it wasn't it wasn't what i was after it certainly wasn't thrash yeah yeah um yeah definitely wasn't thrash but like because you know that was the one cd i would get that month i would just listen to it until i liked it and ended up (laughs) loving that album but yeah there was you know it was a there wasn't much choice
0: yeah yeah and i didn't know you could take it back oh there you go you live in land don't you (laughs) So then, in terms of like, I guess stuff that's a bit more kind of in line with, I guess what you're playing now, and maybe sort of like latterly, like the earliest of when you were getting into music yourself, like as you say, kind of bands in kerrang and things like that. But like, how was it? Just going to that record store and stuff, but like the how you were discovering music, or like were there other avenues that you were sort of there was there was a couple
1: into? things. Pro- there was a, there was a guy I met at school. There, there was only like a small number a handful of us that were into anything alternative but one friend Ryan uh his dad ran a record shop uh, another one I, okay. I think it opened up a little bit later actually but basically he was a huge music obsessive like still is um he, he ran a label called Eyes of Sound for a bit which uh, was a rad label uh but yeah he so he had access to all this stuff and he had much much more extreme tastes than i did and he was right. always steering me towards something heavier and uh yeah so really he 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 informed a lot of it he would just you know he, so what, he,
0: what kind of what kind of bands was he sort of suggesting to you
1: uh it'd be all the earache bands like around early right. early 90s stuff so all, all death metal really and then he started getting into tape trading uh like internationally he was like you know pen, pal- oh, okay. pen pals with people all over the place i think danny filth was one of them like so he- <laughs> So he ended I'm up with a, with a cradle tape, like a demo, before they they put out their first album or anything, and just all sorts of stuff, you know. And some of it, I like, it gave me the willies to be honest. Like black metal was just it freaked me out a bit. But eventually, yeah, yeah, he was yeah. he was relentless, man. So eventually, I just ended up getting into that.
0: Yeah, and like apart from sort of like Metallica, like I guess kind of the stuff that kind of maybe informed. The direction of stuff that you'd go in in terms of like the kind of more punky like post metal sort of stuff. Like, was there like a, any specific band that you remember, like growing up, like just kind of being completely drawn to and latched to sort of thing? That I don't. I guess like was your quote unquote favorite band when you were younger?
1: Yeah, oh, definitely, it would be Sepultura. Like, yeah, yeah I think I was because I was really young. I-, I also had the mentality that you had to have a favorite band and that would be your band. Yeah, of course. Um, And it was it was them like just from Beneath the Remains from hearing that the first time I was just again, that was through Ryan. Um, yeah. Yeah, they just that was my thing. I had like a shrine in my bedroom and uh <laughs>
0: brilliant. Yeah, it was just uh, absolutely obsessed. What was what was your kind of favorite at least have a tour of Sepultura record. Uh,
1: I mean, it's already like four albums in, but Arise still to me is like untouchable.
0: See, I'm I'm a Chaos man, right? I, I fucking love that record. Yeah, I like I know, obviously, the obvious one is Roots, but yeah, I don't know. Chaos for me is like, I think it's because like I can't remember what song it was, but um, there was what like a song on. Do you remember the Drill in the Vein like Roadrunner video? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there was like a song on that. Is it Slave and New it World? was off. Oh, I can't remember now, but I just remember like the video was like claymation.
1: Oh right, yeah, that's. Uh, uh, I can't say it. It's like Hata, hata. Yeah, one. yeah,
0: and I was just like, "What the fuck is this with this like tribal drums and all this sort of stuff?" And then like my brother was like, "It's fucking Sepultura, isn't it?" <laughs> so so I was like, oh, "Okay, <laughs> like, don't you know?" Yeah, exactly. Me being a a twelve-year-old and him being the cool fifteen-year-old. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So then, in terms of you kind of like playing music and and stuff, like you said, like your parents were kind of like into like the faking stuff, and and obviously your brother kind of getting into music. So, was like musical instruments was that a big part of your family, or did you was that something you kind of went off onto on your own?
1: No, that was that was a big. It was encouraged a lot. So my oldest brother, oldest brother, he played. Uh, like classical guitar from a really young age. And then right. and then he got an electric. Like it, He was like, I want to play electric guitar. And my parents were like, no, you have to learn classical. <laughs> uh, so he did that. Uh, then he got an electric. And then by the time I was uh, old enough to take an interest, um, I, I inherited his first electric. So I kind of right, skipped okay. the whole actually learning how to play it properly stage. And uh, yeah. just, yeah, had his old guitar. And then the other brother, he played drums as well. So he had his drum kit set up in his room. And whenever he went out, I would just sneak in and and play. And he used to hate that because if his friends were walking <laughs> past or whatever, like we lived sort of near this nightclub, uh, on a Friday night, everyone would be walking past and I would be there playing drums. And I was awful. And my brother would just be like, "Don't you dare do that! My friends will walk past and they'll think it's me." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that that was it really. The the, the two of them playing, uh, and then I was like, "I'm going to be a bass player if they're if they're, you know, guitar and drums." And, yeah. Uh, so the oldest brother had a band uh, who would practice at our house, and I just used to sit outside listening to them and uh yeah. they they left a bass amp and a bass there and i think i plugged the bass into like the headphone out or something uh, basically I blew, oh, the, no. I blew this amp up um <laughs> Fuck. yeah i think i probably denied it this is probably like if he listens to this like this is this is my this my is confession, the confession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but so i was like well i guess i'm not a bass player um But yeah, we're just, then I was just, yeah, guitar all the way, but also playing drums a bit because of the other brother and his
0: kid. So like, did you, because you kind of thought bass, did you kind of have the mentality that you'd start a band with your brothers kind of thing?
1: I think so, yeah, yeah. Although they wouldn't have had it, obviously. (laughs) But yeah, there there must have been part of that
0: in it. So in terms of like... uh... I guess like learning guitar and stuff as you say like your brother was doing like the classical stuff before but was it kind of something that you'd wanted to do or was it more because you'd kind of seen your brothers playing the instruments that you were kind of drawn to it or was it a bit of both yeah
1: it must have been a bit of both like I definitely um yeah I was I was completely obsessed with the idea of of playing Mm. um but it was the learning part that I struggled with and (laughs) I yeah, was yeah. interested in.
0: I don't know. I think that's like again kind of similar to myself like I I'm not musically inclined at all when it comes especially when it comes to like music like instruments and stuff. And like my brother plays guitar and I remember try like him trying to teach me like the simplest chords. I think he was like trying to teach me like um oh shit what was it? it's a black Sabbath song and it's really fucking simple and I can't think what it is now, <laughs> but I just, I just couldn't like my hands. Oh, it's wouldn't the worst do feeling. It's <laughs> so yeah. frustrating. So it was usually like so probably about again, 12, 13. I was like, no, I can't do this. <laughs> Throw it down,
1: sort of thing. It's not for me. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. But you persevered and obviously kind of carried on. So in terms of you kind of like, starting to play music yourself, obviously like seeing your brothers playing bands and stuff. Was that kind of like always something in your mind that you were like, well, I'm playing this instrument. I may as well seek out bands or was that something that kind of came along a little bit later?
1: Uh, I definitely wanted to do a band, but uh, it didn't seem feasible because um, both my my brothers and my sister, they had kind of big social groups and right. friends who played instruments and and whatnot and i I didn't really uh you know had a group of friends but they didn't necessarily play instruments but eventually i convinced ryan to start playing guitar uh, then yeah we we started a a death metal band uh in school and there was just no one else to join the band you know we ended up putting an ad in uh, the cornish guardian like drummer wanted and we ended, up, we ended up with this dude. So we were like, I don't know, 13, 14 by this time. And this dude, he was 35. He answered the ad God. and ended up being our drama. And uh, he, I mean, he, he wasn't good at all. But we were just sneaking this 35-year-old dude into our school for rehearsals. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> which, yeah, it seemed fine at the time. But I suppose, yeah, you'd get, he'd get in trouble for that now.
0: Yeah definitely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but we ne- we never did any gigs or anything, but we had a bunch of songs and then but that band carried on and we ended up we got a drummer, um where it was by the time we got to sixth form to college, uh this this kid who was like sixteen, amazing drummer, uh called Damo, um, who ended up he was in bands like One Dice, I don't know if you remember them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh and we were like we got we this kid's amazing. Like we need him. Uh, And so we ended up doing the band and, you know, playing at the same venue pretty much every week. uh, Yeah. Uh, But it was brilliant. And, and the whole, well, people did like it because we had this amazing young kid drumming who was just like, had this huge drum kit and was just,
0: yeah. Yeah. It was well good. So in terms of like a quote unquote, like scene or like going to like live shows and stuff, like, My kind of knowledge of of any form of Cornwall scene is kind of like, I guess, of recent memory, like the whole UK swell thing when there was like a really big thing like Dirty Sundays in um, Penzance and stuff like that. But like when you were growing up, like, was there much of a scene in Cornwall? Like, because it's not particularly... A touring destination for bands no. really so was there much you were going to
1: <laughs> no no there there wasn't really anything there there was a few bands um but there'd be you know like a funk band uh called root juice who are like everyone loved them um right there, there was a few bands but there there wasn't anything that I would call a scene at least that we knew of there could have been but because we didn't have any internet but i may have just missed out on it but you know this was like <laughs> yeah. mid to late 90s uh, i don't think there was really anything but we were put on gigs and people would come uh just because it was a gig you know yeah so yeah i don't feel like there really was much going on there there were a few sort of a few metal bands we would play with sometimes but they would do like guns and roses covers or something
0: so in terms of you like attending shows apart from like the ones that you were playing, like I guess kind of on the like bigger scope of things, like maybe not like a, a Sepultura, but like seeing that kind of calibre of band, like where were you going for for that, and like when did that kind of start in your life?
1: We'd have to we'd have to go to Plymouth really. I think I don't think I went to a proper gig until uh, until I was about sixteen. We went to Plymouth and saw Pantera. Um, oh, sick! Yeah. Uh, until then, I don't think I'd really seen a a real gig. Even though we g- I grew up like right next to um, this place called Cornwall Coliseum, which was that w- it was a destination in the like eighties and nineties, and you had like like all of the biggest bands of the time would play that God, I sound like my dad, but like <laughs> <laughs> but you know like, I don't know who played there. The, all the biggest bands. I was going to say status quo, but. Uh, <laughs>
0: Well, they, I mean, they are the biggest
1: <laughs> fans. Uh, yeah, it's all escaping me now. But like you know, it, it was a big place. But I, at first, I was too young to go to gigs, and also like the gigs weren't really extreme enough for what I was into, so I just didn't, just
0: didn't go. Yeah. So like, I guess when you sort of like started going, was it? Because how? Like, I always can never figure out depending on where in Cornwall it is. How far was Plymouth from where you were?
1: Uh, It's about a 45, 50 minute drive.
0: Oh, okay. So it's not too bad, but like, was it something that like once you started going, that you were going regularly or was it kind of like a treat once in a while? It was a
1: treat. It was, you know, if we could, if, if a band that we wanted to see was playing um, and then it's convincing my mate's mum to drive us there and and then pick us up afterwards um, so it was only Pantera and Carcass. Um, I was on the on the Heartwork tour. I think they were the only two real gigs I went to when I when I when I lived in Cornwall. It was really yeah. since moving to London in ninety seven that that's when I really started going to gigs non stop.
0: Yeah. So then, in terms of like your kind of journey, in terms of like bands, as you say, kind of doing that that band with the insanely young drummer (laughs) the really good sort of thing like where did it kind of go from from there like in terms of you like actively wanting to pursue bands and sort of like I guess working out the logistics of being a quote-unquote like proper band sort of thing Uh,
1: I I didn't think it was when I moved to London I was like I'm probably not going to join a band but I, I moved to study sound engineering and I wanted to I wanted to be Ross Robinson. Like You're right. that, that was my thing. Uh, but I was just not very technical, like, you know, le- learning sound engineering. I, I think I found out whilst learning it, that it wasn't for me, but I met another, yeah, yeah. I met another guy there called Dave, uh, who he, he went to uh, an international school in Belgium where he had a band and he was like, most of the band, are uh, moving over here. Um, but do you want to join? I was like, okay, cool. Uh, so we started that band. They they were covers before, and it was a skate punk band. Um, and we just played a couple gigs in London and then started playing more, and then it was really just learning on, on the fly about how, yeah. about how so, all that works. So how old were you when you moved to London? 19.
0: Okay, cool. So i'm just trying to think so in that like kind of interim time like between sort of cornwall and london was there kind of anything kind of going on or was it just sort of playing like the odd pub sort of thing
1: no yeah yeah it was a we'd just play it in our town we did one one gig uh one gig out of town and it was somewhere miles away it's like chester or somewhere it's like we got we a gig in Chester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we were supposed to do two actually that was gonna be our tour it was like first one was in Bristol which was where Damo the drummer lived and we got there and I don't know I can't remember it's just like there's no gig <laughs> oh shit right, okay and then uh and then his dad drove us up to the uh to the other gig um which was <laughs> yeah I'm saying Chester it's not Chester but yeah we played some metal club and uh just completely inexperienced and I think we were pretty rubbish but how did that kind of come about then? It was the the brother of the singer was at university. It was Hereford. That was it. He was at university in Hereford, uh, okay. and he just knew someone who would put
0: us on. Weird. That's, I mean, fair, fair play, but that's really strange. <laughs> and then I just want to call it. Like, in terms of like the Ross Robinson thing, I just I'm just kind of want to point something out. Have you do you listen to um, yeah the Grind podcast at all? No, no. Oh, okay. The, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because um, they recently had uh, Jeremy Bolm from Touche Amore on there. Right. And they recorded their last record with Ross Robinson. Yeah, yeah. And he was saying some of these stories. And they're like, Have you ever heard of any of like the folklore behind Ross Robinson?
1: Not really. Yeah, I just remember there was a, I had a corn VHS video uh, where he's in it a little bit and it shows him, like, yeah. Uh, getting them to dig deep uh yeah i've 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 listened to him on a a podcast recently and he just seems like uh yeah space cadet
0: yeah he's just like proper like eccentric like sort of outside of the box kind of like sound engineer and um jeremy was saying at one point like when he was recording the track like he was stood in the vocal booth with him like literally like inches (laughs) from his face and just like not sure how I feel about yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, he
1: definitely takes people out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Things, I don't think so I would you... have done that, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really know what a producer was, to be honest.
0: Yeah. So, like, why did you kind of want to learn, like, that sort of side of things? Uh,
1: why? I don't know, because I just didn't think I'd be in a band, and I knew I wanted to do something that was involved in music. And, uh... Yeah. Uh... And at that point actually my oldest brother was also teaching sound engineering. So Oh okay. Uh yeah, and when he he talked about it it sounded sounded super interesting.
0: So it was just kind of like not something to do, but like it was kind of a uh, a way to sort of I guess get into that yeah world in some aspects. Yeah,
1: and also, you know, at the time I think like it was before the music industry just took a massive dive bomb and yeah and well and the whole sort of economy like at the time you know you, you could get a degree in spy skills studies and end <laughs> up getting a decent job yeah. so I was like well I study yeah. sound engineering and you know it can't be that hard I'll end up working in a studio or something
0: yeah yeah so then in terms of kind of like I guess like quote-unquote like first proper bands as you said like joining that kind of skate punk band but was that what you'd kind of class as like your first band or
1: yeah I think so. yeah first first real band definitely
0: so what were you what were you playing in that that was
1: drums, drums
0: no, I got okay, tri- right. I got so... tripped actually
1: <laughs> like my mate Dave was like oh do you want to um yeah join this band on guitar and then in the first rehearsal he was like oh uh, can I just show you this riff can you play the drum beat and then that was it for the next ten years. I was playing drums.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I was... Because obviously, when we first met, like I only I met you as a drummer. But then obviously, latterly, I discovered that obviously you play guitar and you play bass and and things like that. So, like, in terms of you kind of learning drums, I know you said kind of going into your brother's room and kind of messing around. But did you like? actually like sit down and learn drums or was it kind of all sort of self-taught
1: it was all self-taught I had a basic grasp of it and then when when I joined that band I just had to then we were just playing a lot and I was just you know practicing at rehearsal but I was never at home learning rudiments or or playing I only played the drum kit when we were at rehearsal if you know what I mean
0: right okay so like in terms of that band died doing stuff like what were you kind of touring like what was yeah we, ended, we ended up with... touring quite a lot um yeah like
1: initially i was just like oh if we could ever play a gig in london like that'd be amazing and we kind of fell in with the like the household name records scene
0: okay yeah yeah and then
1: uh so and captain everything took us out on on our first tour oh sick yeah and that that was wicked and so that was From no real touring experience to them taking us out was was wicked because they're you know such lovely people and they just showed us the ropes as it were
0: yeah yeah so like that's the thing i always kind of find interesting is like what people's kind of first kind of touring experience is like and i think like people have sort of a preconceived idea of what tour is compared to what it actually is sort of thing so Did you kind of have like any idea of what to expect going into it, and like I guess if you're touring with a band like Captain everything, as you say, they kind of are already kind of used to that sort of thing, so did it kind of make the experience a bit easier in that aspect?
1: Oh totally. I think as far as as far as I remember, cause going back a bit, I think we you know they took us in their van, they had booked all the shows, and they had sorted out all of the floors to crash on. Oh, so, sick, okay. <laughs> so that that was quite sweet. Uh but it yeah, it was it wasn't anything unlike what I expected because it's just you know gigs and then uh sleeping on floors.
0: Yeah, yeah. And can you like remember any of those particular gigs or or not really? Uh yeah, well for some reason the
1: one I always remember is is uh the Adelphian in Hull. Um I think because we were a few gigs in and that was the first time I played a bunch of gigs in succession and by the fifth or sixth gig it's like you just feel so much tighter as a band Yeah. Um, and there's a band called uh, the Freaks Union we're playing and okay. uh, they were from Hull uh, and just we just bonded with them and just had a really wicked gig the gig was, you know, it was really busy uh, yeah, and that, that was my first uh, the first time I was like, this is what I thought that the punk scene would be like, do you know what I mean, at, at, yeah, it, yeah. at its best. It was just like yeah. a really positive crowd, like all all the bands were just straight away just chatting and yeah, and and helping each other out equipment-wise and stuff like that. It was yeah, it was awesome. And I don't feel like I remember any of the other I think the first show was with Lightyear actually. If you know do you know Lightyear? Uh, yeah, I recognize the name. They were. Uh, they're a household name band. Um, they still get together every every now and then, but uh, yeah, they're they're really
0: quite um, eccentric
1: people, to say to say the least. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, how for how long were you in in that band for then? I think it was about ten years. Yeah, was, yeah, oh, like okay. ninety eight to two thousand and eight, I think. Oh, okay, cool. So, obviously, kind of, I guess. Not learning the ropes because of you in it for a long time, but kind of, I guess, got to get used to what that sort of world would be like during that time, sort of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it went really quickly. So we actually, um, you know, from from doing a few gigs and there's that tour with Captain Everything, and then uh, do you know that there's a website called life dot com? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we used that just sending a blanket email to book a, a tour in California just oh wow we didn't i don't think we had anything recorded we were just like hey we're a punk band from london we're coming over can you put us on or whatever and from that yeah ended up doing like a three-week tour out there Um, that's fucking nuts yeah yeah it was was really mad especially yeah just because it was emails you know and they didn't know what we sounded like or anything but yeah it was it was great
0: is that how long had you been a band of up
1: until that point then I want to say about a year, a year and a half, maybe it was more. So that's right,
0: really young then, especially to be going out to the States. Yeah.
1: Actually, you know what? It was 2002, so we must have been going a good four years by that point, actually. Okay.
0: But still, that's like to kind of take that initiative, because I think, like obviously, like nowadays, like you've got to kind of wait for that offer and, yeah. and things like that. So to take that initiative and be like, you know what? We're going to take a punt on ourselves and it. <laughs> I yeah pay.
1: yeah it was brilliant like we weren't expecting you know because obviously we didn't have any music so we were like well there's no one's gonna come to see us but if we can jump on some some good gigs and we, yeah we ended up playing a chain reaction venue in anaheim which is like oh shit yeah 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 with uh it was like an all ages show i think they all are there um there's a band called a fall farewell who were like this this was the first time i'd ever seen like a kind of a beat down metalcore band and right. they were super young and they just yeah they packed the place out so we just played to a, a full a full room there of kids that were just all they did was a circle pit like all night <laughs> they just didn't <laughs> stop running around and around and be like this is incredible
0: that's nuts so like what was that apart from that experience but what was that kind of like for you so you just sort of I guess, kind of going on a whim and touring touring
1: through America.
0: (laughs) It it was all a bit much, really.
1: Um, But, yeah, just at the time, it just, you know, like we sorted it out and did it and didn't think too much of it apart from this could go horribly wrong, but (laughs) (laughs) it's fine. Yeah, we didn't do visas or anything like that. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah. Which
1: I don't don't think they really made it to... I think it was quite easy back then. We didn't even think about it and we... Yeah, you know, we went over there with um, all of our equipment, and w- we did. We had one song on a compilation CD, so we had like 200 of these CDs with us. And yeah, we're like, what? You know, what about the visa thing? Like, what well, if they see these CDs? Like, it'll be obvious. And uh we just got pulled over, and they were like,
0: not, not the fact that you've got guitars and shit. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I figured,
1: you know, you could say you're just going out there to jam with some friends or whatever. But if you've got loads of CDs with you, it makes it a bit more obvious. It's a
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know, a commercial venture or whatever.
0: But yeah, they just yeah. They
1: pulled us over at LAX and they were just like, hey, boys, like, <laughs> you you guys are banned? We were like, yeah, kind of. I mean, <laughs> they're like, what are all these CDs? We we're like, oh, we just want to give them out to friends out here. And they're like, okay, move on. We we're like, okay, cool. Phew.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, in terms of, like, I guess, what, was there kind of a particular reason why that kind of came to an end, or was it just sort of like a natural kind of stopping point? That band, yeah. Um, it like,
1: yeah. It things like started like really ramping up. Like we ended up um, pick, getting picked up by a management uh, company, or well, well, it was one guy, uh, and he put us on tour with like Pennywise and Bad Religion and Oh, say Anti Flag. Like so, we were doing like. You know i, was, huge I feel
0: in, i feel like i'm an idiot what what band is this what's it called, it was called
1: fire apple red okay
0: it was um i think i've i think i recognize the name now you've said
1: it. it you might have seen it like on flyers around we used to play bristol a lot but then that yeah, then again, yeah, yeah. that's going back quite away but yeah so we were doing like you know loads of stuff like that um we ended up putting out an ep on on visible noise um and then i don't know it just all got a bit much I think like we we got to a point where like i think we kind of lost the fire i th- like i gen i think we were we were a decent band at one point and after a while i, I just don't i think once we st- stopped playing these small rooms like like because i think in the small rooms we were kind of like in your face and quite we came across quite well and then it just seemed to lose something once we were put on the on the next level which i don't think we were cut out for, yeah, yeah. You know what i mean so and then we were just like just rolling on to be honest and then we uh eventually yeah we were just like uh let's i think we've had a good run of it yeah yeah, did yeah. one one last tour and then uh yeah and then that was it
0: so then i'm trying to think like chronologically like what was kind of next for for you then because there's a couple of bands that i want to talk about specifically, but what what was kind of next after this? Uh,
1: I think, so during the last year of Fire Apple Red, I started playing uh, drums for Devil Soul to Soul. And so right. I was okay. kind of juggling those two. Um, I try to, I God, my memory's so terrible. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was just, I think I did a year in Devil Soul to Soul, thereabouts and that was al- yeah. also the the last year of fire apple red
0: see so right i'm intrigued with this now because this is where my fandom kind of comes into it <laughs> a little bit so when like what period were you with double of soul were you like ep to first album
1: no it's uh, just the first album i think okay yeah so i think it was after that first ep came out uh, i think the drummer tom left maybe six months after and then i started playing and then i left so are you sorry no no, no go on go on, go on. Uh, and then i left just before fragile hope came out which i played
0: drums on oh so you're you're recorded drums on fragile hope yeah right okay cool that kind of clarifies things a little bit so in that case, we met, well, not personally, but we would have been in the same room like fucking years ago <laughs> before we even knew who each other were. Because, um, I don't, you might remember this, I don't know, but there, um, there was a, a promoter in Portsmouth that used to do, uh, these, it was called like Devil's Road Show. And I think he did like a one off, like, charity thing. And you guys, Devil Soul Soul headlined. And it was literally like a few weeks before A Fragile Hope came out. And I'd been like absolutely rinsing the EP anyway. And, uh, and like for me at the time, I think I was probably like 16, 17. <laughs> I was like, and I'd obviously just discovered Devil Soul Soul from that EP and like loved it. Like that style of music. So then, to see it live, I was just like, oh, "This is amazing!" Sort of thing. Yeah. So it's weird that like we're now like mates. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I was fanboying over your <laughs> band. Not
1: anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> now you know
0: me. <laughs> no, no, I know. I'm very much still am. But so yeah, like I guess with like, because did you do? Did you do much of like the touring cycle with? With a fragile hope, or had you left by that point? Yeah, uh,
1: I th- I think I was out already when it came
0: out. Okay, so you, you, did you kind of witness any of like the like blow up of of that band, or yeah, were you kind of already apart from it?
1: uh But things seemed to be like uh, they were going really well when I was playing with them, and
0: yeah, yeah, because I'm still
1: super tight friends with them, I, I I would go to all of their gigs afterwards. And I yeah. think, re- yeah, it was really, yeah, it was after that that things started really ramping up for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I got to witness so, it. Like, I, used to, I used
1: to tag along to their, their gigs and be like, oh man, i quite like to be playing that.
0: <laughs> but then, you know, <laughs> you made your bed. Yeah. Yeah. So you like, in terms of, cause I'm trying to think again at that time, like, were, were you touring much with? With that project, so I know you did like the odd, as I say, you did that show in Portsmouth, and there was kind of other shows around the UK. But I can't remember if it was like sort of one-offs or was it kind of actual like tours. It was, it was most
1: mostly one-offs. but I think there was one, maybe two tours. There was definitely there was one tour with Exit 10 and Fell Silent that I did with them. Yeah, there was that was really cool. Um, I'm sure we must have done other ones I'll have to, i've got a box of flyers somewhere and i don't really I, yeah i've been meaning yeah. to look through it for for years but yeah but there was a time there was one time uh for about a month and a half and i had it on a spreadsheet i didn't even really know what spreadsheets were then but like of balancing fire Apple red and devil soul is soul gigs like okay and none of it was a tour but it was just non-stop for a month and a half like with no gaps just fucking you know, two out. Gigs here. Or there was practices as well because we were like in fire for red we we're getting someone else in to play bass had to train them up and then i'd be yeah it was a it's not especially as i didn't drive so i was just like going around on the tube or on buses between you know because devil sold his soul were based in kind of in in gloucester uh so yeah i would be getting the national express with all my drum hardware
0: Okay. <laughs> so like how did you come to sort of be in devil sort soul in the first place then because if was it just kind of like through knowing them from through gigging and, and stuff like that uh
1: yeah well i used to play in there was a band called mahamodo before them which was uh the two guitarists and and the original drummer um and i used to fill in on bass for them quite a bit and ah, okay and then so that band uh it they broke up, and it kind of split in two, which was Shells and Devil Sold His Soul. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just from having played, uh, just being friends with them and having played bass for Mahamodo, uh, I just, and also Fire Up Already used to play gigs with Devil Sold His Soul. I would always just just make myself known a little bit and was just hoping one day. Yeah. Like, if anything happens, I'll I'll play drums or bass for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I t- I re- initially, and- I was meant to play bass, for them for just one gig that um they had just been given in the morning they were, like it was Juliet visible noise was like i've got your support slot it's with Ramstein uh in newcastle arena <laughs> and uh and they were like oh right yeah no we'll definitely do it um but our bassists on holiday uh and so they phoned me up they were like dave you know can you play bass for this gig i was like all right so i went and practiced with them uh and then we had the van loaded up and everything, and apparently, like the tour, tour manager for Ramstein was checking in, and it's like, you have got your own PA system and lighting rig, haven't you? We were like, no, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Certainly not one that will do an arena. Yeah. <laughs> <But>, uh, <laughs> so they're like, oh no, you can't do it then. So I was like, uh, okay, fair enough.
0: Oh man. It probably would have been. That it sucks. probably would have been awful anyway. <laughs> Oh man, that would have been cool, though. <laughs> I tr its just it sprung on me as well. Like, it, I'm trying to think if it was pre *A Fragile Hope* or post, but cause I, again, I remember like at that time, like that kind of sound, that sort of like ambient post-hardcorey sound, like mm. something about it just like really kind of sat with me and resonated with me. And I remember Devil Sold played the Joiners in Southampton and i think it was just like when they were kind of on that upward curve and it was like the first time like that i'd consciously noticed that they were kind of putting thought into like their lighting show and stuff oh yeah, yeah. and it was just like constant stroke. Yeah. and it was just, like <laughs> that, that, that was kind the of, like that was the... <laughs> yeah it was like kind of like this is really jarring but the music is incredible and, and it was just sort of like one of those moments where It was just like just let my body go i'm just gonna enjoy this kind of thing. awesome yeah i used to
1: i used to think the same thing when i you know before playing with them just go, going to see them i just used to yeah it would just bliss out and then like maybe yeah. the strobes would just i mean it'd get a bit much sometimes but it was yeah it was part of the experience definitely
0: yeah yeah so when like again like i don't know if because obviously you said you're still friends with them but like in terms of you kind of like coming to an end with devil sold soul was it just sort of there was too much for you going on personally and and stuff like that or because they were wanting to tour more like what was the kind of situation with that
1: yeah that that was you got it there basically i think they wanted to they wanted to play a lot more and yeah i had i had a full-time job that i couldn't couldn't quit because i had to pay rent um but they, they were all a little bit younger or they were all living at home at the time so which afforded them the ability to you know to be able to play as much as possible
0: yeah yeah
1: and uh yeah i didn't want to be a drag like i saw it coming quite early on so uh, i always there was an understanding that i was just filling in really until they until yeah. they got someone but um it, yeah it took him a while to find lex the now drummer but yeah uh, yeah yeah so eventually i was just like I'll oh, i'll step back
0: yeah and just in terms of, like, A Fragile Hope, because I say, I think that record kind of obviously put them guys even more on the map than they already were at that point. And, but I think, I think was it two years ago? There was, like, the 10-year anniversary? Yeah, something yeah. Something like that? Yeah. So, like, for someone that was obviously on that record and kind of seeing the reaction it got and still people holding it in such high regard, is it, like a weird thing to know that you were part of that.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it is in a way, definitely. I mean, I went to the the London show of that and right. Yeah, it was I, I yeah, it is weird to be honest. I can't really um think of it in that way cuz you know, I, I I don't listen to it much. Um not really? No, nah, yeah, I don't like I don't like the drumming on it to be honest. <laughs> but um <laughs> Fair enough but then seeing them do it with Lex drumming, it was like, oh man, like this is this is how it should be.
0: Like <laughs> Yeah. That's cool. So then I guess like from there, is that when Shells kind of comes into into play? Yeah. Cool. Right. So again, me not knowing who you were, and then when we became friends and saw Dave Robinson, Shells, I was like are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, again, like, I think it was because at, at that time I was, like, really into that sort of, as I say, that kind of ambient post, like, metal post-hardcore kind of sound. Yeah. But, like, for me, like, Shell's offered up something, like, completely different because there was, like, these elements of, like, explosions in the sky coming in and then these kind of, like, more sort of, like, soundscape elements And I think the, not that it was a novelty, but the fact that there were so many of you in that band as well just kind of made it like really kind of interesting for me. And the, um, I've completely forgotten the bloody name of the record now. The the first one? No, the second one. That's Plains of the Purple Buffalo. Oh no, maybe it is. What was the first one? Well, there's there's an EP uh, that I think is just called Shells, and then it's Sea of the Dying Dow. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Right. Like, I came—I don't even know how I came across that record. I think it might have been on like. I think shells were like in Devil Sold Soul's like MySpace top eight <laughs> or something like that. So I felt like kind of found it through that, and then. I remember, so I went to uni, just outside Kingston. So obviously, going to like Banquet Records was like, a regular jaunt for me, yeah. and. I'd, I'd listened to, like, a few... The few tracks that you guys had up on MySpace and then that record, obviously, was in Banquet and I got it and I was sort of, like, just in my uni hall was just like, oh, this is so good kind of thing. <laughs> so, like, in terms of that project, like, was it... Because I know... Um, I don't want to butcher his name, but the the main guy from... Mahuma. Yeah. Like, it kind of felt like it was kind of his project and his baby so was that the case that you guys were all just kind of coming in or was it a collaborative effort
1: yeah no it's it's definitely his thing well between him and tom the drummer who was also the original drummer in devil sold his soul before me but the the the, yeah yeah, it's the two of them really probably mostly Mehdi, but yeah it's very much like you know he he did that first album uh out in california on his own but he got tom uh Uh, He came over to do the drums with Tom, but I think he did everything else himself, except the trumpet. Yeah. I don't think he plays the trumpet.
0: (laughs) So then, again, like, where do you kind of fit into the equation? And then, obviously, because you're swapping instruments in this aspect, like, I know you said, like, you were kind of filling in with bass with Mm -hmm. Mahumodo and things like that anyway, But was it just a case of because you knew everyone that you kind of slotted in? Like, where where did you kind of come into things? Yeah,
1: it was just, you know, since he he moved out to the States, I just stayed in touch with him a lot. And I can't quite remember. I probably, like, made it very obvious without saying it that whatever it is he's going to do, I I want to be in it somehow. (laughs) Yeah. Because I've just always had... You know, since Mahamodo, just so much trust in his songwriting. Like, I, I think he's, mm. you know, unbelievable. Um So I, he was sending me uh, bits and pieces. He was like, he sent me the song, the first song on the album, um, "Conference of the Birds," and I just heard it, and I was, I th- he's lost his mind. That is like, <laughs> there's no way a band, a band can do this, like. You know, and there's the trumpet solo, like, came out of nowhere and it still worked. And uh, I'd not really heard, like, the bands that Shells often get uh, kind of compared to. Like, I'd not really heard, you know, Godspeed or... I knew Isis and stuff like that, but the more ethereal post-rock stuff I'd never really heard. And I was like, Yeah, my God, he's just invented this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah but, yeah, I just always had total faith in in his uh in his writing so I was just whatever you do like please let me bumble along the bass along with it
0: yeah yeah and c- was that the thing because obviously like as you say Tom was there on on the drums so but again because like you can play guitar and things but was it just a case of you felt more comfortable in bass like what like or was that just the position to fill?
1: I think partly the position to fill. I think his relationship, his musical relationship with Tom goes back so far. And Tom is such a, a unique drummer. Like, I mean, I, I've been trying to rip him off on the drums for years, you know, because I I, <laughs> I took over from him in, in Devil Soul His Soul. And, like, I really, all I wanted to do was try and make it sound like it was still him, you know. Yeah. And, And I've listened to, I just... I've watched and listened to him so much that I think it really, it was, I was like, this will be awesome playing bass with him because I feel like I, I kind of can work with his ebbs and flows because I've been trying to rip him off on the drums. I, I kind of know <laughs> yeah. how he works. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like playing, it, it did take a, a while, but now I feel like playing, if I play bass with him, like, I just feel like I'm. I'm um, his kick drum just on the bass like you know yeah yeah uh, when it's good you know
0: yeah <laughs> so that like when you guys kind of went out like started to formulate a band as I say because I think it's, at high. height it was like what seven members yeah yeah so like getting in a room and just like practicing that and as you say like having Medi kind of come up with these ideas that on paper don't necessarily work kind of thing like how was it kind of feeling those things out or did everything just kind of come together quite sort of naturally I, mean, I could be viewing it with rose-tinted spectacles
1: but I, I think it came together really well I think yeah he's very meticulous I think he went to each member's house or whatever a few times to run through everything like to get everything mm. exactly as he wants it and then it was all seven of us in in the rehearsal room uh, playing so loud, like so <laughs> yeah. loud. Uh, and I think it just, yeah, I think it, it just worked. I think everyone everyone was pretty experienced by that point. Everyone in the band had been, you know, two of the guys at the time uh, had been in Eden, Maine. If, I don't know if you know them. They are like a rad, yeah, like, absolutely rad. Yeah, band. I loved
0: Eden, Maine. Uh,
1: so everyone was pretty experienced. So everyone had done their homework and, uh, yeah, it just worked quite well.
0: mm. And then, like, in terms of when you guys were doing shows, like, I think because of the background that the people in that band had already had, like, as you say, so from Mahumodo to you being you, you Anton, being Devil's Soul, Soul, members of Eden Main, like, it kind of felt like you were, it, this might just be from my perspective, but like you were straight in at the deep end kind of thing, you didn't have to do the like small little pub shows and (laughs) and all that kind of thing so like was it weird to sort of go in at that level or did it just kind of feel comfortable for the scale of music that you were playing
1: um it felt i don't yeah it didn't feel that weird it is weird because definitely a band should like should get to that point on a journey rather than just being there but yeah. I think like the first Shells gig was a week after the last Fire Apple Red gig. I think at the same venue at the Barfly. And, okay. and I just stopped playing with Devil Soul Soul. So it was like the gigs were all about that kind of similar attendance anyway. So it wasn't like, you know, uh, a mad thing. But I think it yeah, yeah, I did I I remember thinking at the time, like, what must certainly other bands think. They're like this band's never played before and like <laughs> they'll be high up on this bill or the, you know, there's this many people here. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. But uh, I wasn't going to argue with it. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to think like, cause again, you weren't like, you were quite active, but at the same time, kind of aloof as well. But I think as I say, with that being like Medi not being in the country so much yeah. and so, and things like that, but like, I don't know. Again, this might just be, like, how I view it, but I felt like there was this kind of almost, like, cultish following with Shells. And, that like, if you're a Shells fan, like, you fucking love that band kind of thing. So was that something that you saw, or am I just kind of thinking about it too much? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I I, I, I think
1: there was definitely... That was a big point of realization for me it's almost like less playing less is more you know we, with shells i think we've we've toured like i don't know maybe four times in tw- yeah in 12 years <laughs> yeah and so it's just like you know every four years we'll do a tour and if people are interested in it they're definitely going to come to that gig you know because they might yeah, not yeah. see it again for another another four years um yeah <laughs> So, like, yeah, so that might sort of contribute to the, like, aloof appearance of it. But, yeah, it's just, like, logistically, that's all we can do, really. I mean, we're still, you know, we're st- it's still a band, but it's just... Yeah, yeah. It's now been eight years since our last gig. <laughs> and yeah. every year we're like, yeah, we're probably going to play next year. I think we were going to play, like, uh, 2021, but I think the world as it is, like maybe it'll be 22 23 i don't know
0: yeah yeah and like in terms of kind of as you say like it, it is still abandoned and things like that so but i guess what i'm trying to get at is, is like the like activity of it not necessarily like as a live band but in terms of you kind of like writing and putting things together is it just a case of as and when or is sort of has meddy got things working in the background and then kind of lets you know like what's the kind of process with that
1: he's i mean he's always he's always writing um i think he he basically he did take a couple of years to uh he he just he got really into uh jujitsu he's still into and so he just focused on that for for at least three years and you know wasn't doing any any music but i think right now yeah he's you know he's getting there with the next record but he just understands that there's no rush really, you know, there's, yeah, it'll, it'll it'll happen when it happens. Um, yeah. But I mean, in between, you know, the last tour and the next one, like we've all got kids and (laughs) everything's a bit more tricky to to manage, but, uh, yeah. So I can't remember what the question was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just sort of like how kind of like, I guess if the you kind of touched on it, like the, the the ball is still still kind of rolling in motion with with new material in some yeah kind of aspects. yeah it's it is yeah. on the way but uh yeah who knows how long yeah and and just because you've kind of touched upon it there and I'm I just kind of want to get your perspective on it before we kind of move on to sort of the bands you're doing now and stuff but like you are married you have. You have one child at the moment. You have another on the way. Which congratulations! I can actually say it to you face to face now. Thank you. But like, like in terms of kind of kind of like your life in in band world, I know like I kind of want to talk to you about your job as well in a minute. But in terms of like actively being out on tour and and things like that, I know you don't do it as much. But like, how's kind of like being a family man kind of changed that? And like, has it changed your approach to music in any aspect?
1: Um, Well, it definitely, it's harder to do it as much, but I think it's coincided with me not wanting to do it less, but wanting to be more uh, picky about what I do. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's definitely, like, I couldn't imagine doing it it, at the level that I was a few years ago, you know, like Mm. actually doing proper tour being a proper touring band i don't know how anyone does it whilst if they've got a family you know they're, yeah it's pretty amazing but so it's not posed a huge problem yeah because you know i now i can i can write and record stuff at home and uh the bands that i do well obviously like covid has has timed with just there being no gigs but yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's more it's manageable because I don't do it as much as I used to, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and I I did want to kind of bring it up, but I may as well bring it up now. Like for people that follow you on like Instagram and stuff, you have the most adorable relationship with Iris and like the like little fake band kind of things that you've kind of created with her. I think is just fucking brilliant. So like. Like, where did that kind of... Was it just like you were bored one day and you thought, fuck it, I'm going to film it? Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: (laughs) Uh, I just... Because, uh, like, I do jam with her quite a bit, although, you know, when we started jamming, she was certainly too young to even comprehend what was going on. But I just give her some sticks, and we've got little drums and stuff. Uh, And then I was playing my guitar, and then I just thought about all of the tropes that, you know, bands in rehearsal rooms go through. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. and yeah. i think i was just going to send it to my mate dave uh and then i thought oh, i've put it on instagram and uh i mean i think
0: came. the <laughs> i mean the the reveal that you're having another kid was just so fucking good i thought it was <laughs> brilliant yeah. So say yeah uh, prop, props to you for doing Thanks. that but like in like i don't want to say like you're Being an overbearing father because I'm sure that's not the case, but like, has has Iris shown an interest in like playing instruments and stuff like that? Uh, yeah. Well, she loves. I've got my drums set up in the garage,
1: and she always wants to go and play them. Um, Whether that's just because it's hitting something that makes a loud noise, but
0: yeah, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. You know, yeah, I definitely think she's too young. She loves dancing along to like you know cartoony music and stuff. Uh, If I put my music on, she's not really not into it at
0: all <laughs> she's, she's, she's not gonna be blast beating anytime soon not, not yet no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then back in terms of like music that you were doing so you might have to fill in a bit of a gap for me but so the next thing that i've got you doing is carnist
1: i think that's right i did well i did a band yeah i did a band called hope and state for a little bit which was kind of an emo emo band but yeah carnist okay carnist was the next one of that we did a lot of stuff with.
0: Yeah. So, again, before I even knew who you were, I've discovered this incredible crusty beat punk band that's talking about animal rights and all this sort of thing. I go along to a show in Southampton and there you are, but I don't know obviously who you are at the time. But, like, was it kind of like weird for you to sort of, I guess, play a different style of music? Because where you'd obviously gone from doing the kind of devil sold soul shell stuff that's got a bit more space to play with mm. it's a lot more atmospheric to just absolutely pummeling the drums with d beats and stuff <laughs> like was was that kind of something that you'd wanted to try your hand at or did you kind of find that transition quite strange um well, i think because like the skate punk band i did
1: way back before was pretty, you know, it was pretty fast. There was a lot of double time stuff. So I was, I was into playing fast stuff. Um, mm. I definitely wanted to do something very aggressive and heavy. Um, yeah. So it, it wasn't that much of a struggle, although like I still struggle with like blast beats, I'd never, I'd never done blast beats before then. And, uh, so that, that was definitely a struggle, but yeah, generally it was, it was, it was what I wanted to do at the time. Definitely.
0: Yeah. That's cool and because obviously like i don't want to kind of well i'm g- gonna give him praise in some aspects but like obviously with alex being the the vocalist and obviously he has this weird like kind of following from full of effort that no matter what alex does he will have kind of some, some following sort of following yeah thing. yeah it's true so so like to be in the band with him like did you kind of see any of that kind of crossover of like people coming from because like i guess fall of forever is not massively removed from the shells stuff it's okay it's a bit more crust and heavy but it's still got that like big soundscapey sound yeah but i don't know did the two worlds cross over or like was it very much like when you were in a band with Alex, you were like, "Oh, there's this punk dude that knows all these people," kind of thing. Um,
1: I, yeah, I, I don't know really, because I, I feel like Fall of for at least in, in the UK, it's not. If you're if you're more in touch with the Euro sort of scene, you're more likely to, to to know about the Fall of Ephrafer side of things. Like Ollie, who played bass in in Cardist, hadn't heard of them. And oh, okay. even though he was like a dedicated hardcore and crust kid, you know. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're definitely, you know, it's his... Uh, it's a blessing and a curse, I think. Well, whatever he does will always carry that attachment, which he's learned to live with now. I think there was a long... When we were doing Carnist, he was a bit like, oh, you know, I wish I could just just be me. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's the thing, because obviously, like, Carnist was... Very different. It was like fast and mm. say like blast beats, D beats, and like obviously full of effort. I had that, but like it wasn't full of effort for Mark Two sort of thing. No, yeah. So then, like, I'm trying to think because how much did you guys? I remember as I say I remember seeing you in that show in Southampton, but I think that was like a one off tour that you might have been doing but like did you kind of do much or was it kind of like just a little project that kind of happened and then fell fell by the wayside kind of thing
1: we we, we probably did like three or four five date tours we did we, yeah. we played in europe more than we did here certainly um yeah I played a lot in germany um yeah we, we didn't do loads to be honest and also i think uh I just don't think people were that interested and so <laughs> Fair enough. But we love doing it, you know, it was, it was brilliant fun. Yeah.
0: And in terms of like kind of like the Europe stuff, like obviously you've been in touring bands for for years and stuff like that, so you obviously you can probably give a a different perspective on this. But specifically like with that kind of cross punk style how did you kind of find like the difference in shows between like Europe and here cuz like I think from my experiences of going over to Europe like in general no matter what genre of music is they're a lot more hospitable and and things like that but like their sort of like crust punk scene seems to be a lot more active and a lot more kind of community driven yeah. than ours does here in the UK so was that something that you found when you were out doing those shows oh totally
1: it was a real eye eye opener for me um yeah like you say it's really community driven i i I think maybe like in you know germany for example i'd say maybe it's not that unusual for someone to be into that kind of stuff i know i know it's it's not mainstream but i don't think it's as obscure so i think it and so the umbrella of like the the kind of the ideas of like co- collectivism and stuff like that, uh, they just seem to reach further over there. But definitely, yeah, yeah, shows are way more yeah hospitable. Like, it, I, I've, I, I want to say like, oh, well, I don't want to say everything's better there, but it pretty. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. is, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then the, you know, then you know, there's like uh, South London scum here. Like they, you know, they do absolutely awesome stuff but i just don't think there's the same setup over here you you know i don't know if you can accommodate bands here as well as you can there because there's so many over there there's like really good squatted buildings where you know they'll have rooms with bunks for bands to stay in yeah yeah whereas i you know maybe it does exist here but i'm not plugged into it but i just don't think i've ever seen it
0: i was gonna say i can't think of like anywhere in the uk that's got
1: anything like that to be totally honest yeah. well, but... well there's pity me in um in durham which is where the the martha uh the band martha have got a place where it's an animal sanctuary and, it's got, oh, and sick it's got i didn't know that bunks you know for bands to stay in and stuff like that that was the only time i've ever been like no wait, this is you know this could be in europe
0: yeah i can't think of the family now there's a family like in Newcastle as well shit what are they called I can't remember it was two brothers but like their parents were like really into like the punk world as well and like literally any touring band that goes through Newcastle they stay at this house and it's like punk house sort of thing that's rad (laughs) I can't think Oh, it's gonna annoy me what they're called now but I mean, maybe maybe it, maybe it
1: does exist over here you know in various different scenes but like i think yeah one thing about europe is that there's not there aren't such clear lines between scenes
0: yeah yeah and then before we kind of touch upon like morrow and and things like that as i said i do kind of want to talk about your job because you're kind of like you work in line with the music industry and sort of like within like record distribution and and things like that so like it's i guess firstly like how did you kind of get into that sort of thing and like secondly like how have things kind of been recently like because of like covid and stuff. i know you said you like you've been able to work from home but like have you seen like a spike in record distribution because people are more buying more things from home or have things slowed down like what how's your kind of world in general at the moment
1: um yeah there has been a little bit of a uh, maybe a spike is a bit uh bit dramatic i i basically when when it was (laughs) like we're all shutting down um but just to so you know i deal just with independent record shops and we we, yeah as a distributor we got sort of a few hundred labels but um i was expecting like well that's it then like i'm out of a job you know shops are all going to close everything uh but those those indie shops which had a decent sort of online like setup they all just you know seem to do really well from I guess people wanting to treat themselves everyone's trapped at home and they're like you know I'll buy buy a record so Mm. it's kept it's kept me busy and it seems to you know those shops that have known how to to react to it have have done pretty well so it's still it's you know it's not good for anyone but it is actually good for some
0: (laughs) but yeah so how did you kind of fall into into the job then Uh,
1: um, that it was When I was playing in Devil Sold His Soul, I started, uh, a mate of mine got me a job in the warehouse at Shellshock Distribution. And that was just, they were a really small place in Tottenham and I was just out there moving boxes and then uh, putting stuff in envelopes and posting them out. And then eventually they put me on like what at the time was called telesales. You phone up shop, (laughs) phoning up shops and being like, listen to this! And like, hold it, holding the phone to a, a Gator Blaster. <laughs> Be like, oh, I'll have 20 of those, please! Uh, Brilliant. Well, no, actually, well, I joined just when the industry was just dying. So actually, it was like, they were like, no, I don't want that, I can't sell it.
0: <laughs> no. You know,
1: just only a couple years previously, like, shops were, you know, they were stocking everything. And then, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty different by the time I got there.
0: Fair enough. So then in terms of like what you're kind of doing at the moment, I guess like the most sort of quote unquote active band is, is, well, even though that's still not that active is Morrow. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I know, I know that kind of started as like a, a kind of like an internet project that wasn't necessarily going to be a live thing. Mm. But obviously, then has progressed to be a live thing. So, like, I don't know. You might be able to shine some light on it. You might not. But like, do you? How did it kind of come to be a live band? Was it just kind of people asking, like, or or was it kind of something that was always sort of being toyed with?
1: I think I think it was always in the back of, in the back of mine and Alex's mind. Um, but the first thing was we just you know, he he had this the concept, the story, and everything, and he wanted. He wanted the music for it so i I demoed it all on the computer and then we ended up we went up to record it um mm-hmm. with Balti. it stuck on a name uh yeah got got it finished and then put it out i think online sort of within twenty four hours of getting getting the master uh and then and then just started thinking yeah it would be cool to should we actually get people uh get people in the band to to do, do some gigs, mm. which
0: it it took forever, actually, to be honest. Cause well, so on that first record, is it you that's done pretty much all the music side of things? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Except, you know, okay, the, cool. not the cello or, uh, or violin.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of like bringing people in, like, Prior to meeting you all properly, I like I only really knew, Alistair, but like, you're all come kind of like from different sort of musical backgrounds and sort of different areas of the country and the world and things like that. So, how did the collection that we kind of see now, like, how did that kind of come to be? Um,
1: I think initially I wanted it to basically just be Carnist, but with an extra guitarist, and you know a cellist or violinist or whatever yeah um but ollie from carnist was uh i can't remember if he was moving to sheffield or he was just like no not really into it mate but uh so i think alex knew um alistair was that through worst witch or yeah i think so uh and Geffrid was was in carnist um and who else is there well there's liam obviously uh i'd seen him on instagram uh playing the fiddle and uh so i was like oi can you play violin for morrow please and he
0: was like okay is that so it's just kind of like just kind of like yeah sort of like knowing people from other bands and sort of bringing them in yeah and and
1: jose was in a um who play London a lot. And I used to see them. I never really knew him, but I I was always like, we should get him because he's, he's just like the embodiment of Spanish crust. It's just like, (laughs) it's it's gotta be him. We need him.
0: I mean, yeah, you nail on the head kind of. (laughs) (laughs) So then I'm trying to think now, was fluff the first show? No, that was like our third show. I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know why I had it in my head that Fluff was the first one for some reason. but
1: Yeah, no, that, that was... we'd, yeah we'd done one a couple months before uh, in Germany, and then we did one on the night before Fluff, just on the way over with Svalbard.
0: Ah, oh, okay. But, like, even so, like, third show in, like, you're headlining one of Europe's <laughs> biggest sort of DIY festivals. I know. Like, what was that kind of like in, like... And why? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be disrespectful, but like, no, no, was it weird right. that you were you were in that position?
1: Yeah, it was just some horrible mistake. I think we we, like, <laughs> we so we were. Um, I think Liam was driving because um, and he was driving Svalbard as well. And he, yeah, because
0: they played the next day, didn't they? Yeah,
1: and he. I think I got emailed the the info, and I thought it would you know it'd be like park the van here all this sort of stuff, and didn't look at it much beyond that and i just forwarded it on to him and he he just messaged me back straight away he's like have you looked at, at what slot they've put us on i was like no because i was like ideally it would be like around midday on one of the small stages you know uh and yeah. he's like no <laughs> i mean like straight away we were like well, got in touch with fluffy we like there's there's been a horrible mistake like we can't headline like that's we've only got four songs like <laughs> <laughs> we barely know each other like we've you know we we can't practice no one knows us like we're just terrified that people would think that we felt like we deserved to be doing that you know yeah yeah. Um, and yeah it was really like we all just felt just terrified um and then tom from fluff wrote this message back uh and it was quite long and it was just really quite sweet he was just like you know, tell, he was saying about what Fluff Festival is to him, and he's like, it's not about ticket sales or record sales. He's like, I feel that Morrow embodies what I wanted Fluff Fest to be about when I started it. You know, it's it's a coming together of cultures and uh, styles, and you know. And he's like, I don't care, you're headlining. <laughs> we are like, oh, that's on.
0: cool. That's cool that he had that faith, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's completely yeah. It's mad. But um, yeah, I don't know if that it's that cool for sort of all, all the people that were there.
0: <laughs> like, but well, that's the thing though, like, because that's what I was gonna say. Because obviously, there, obviously everyone that was there pretty much came and watched you guys. Like <clears throat> the that whole main t- like stage tent, like there was people as far back as the eye could see, sort of thing. So it obviously worked out for for the best. I guess. Yeah, I guess, yeah.
1: I don't know, yeah I think we were lucky in yeah in so many ways like that just about pulled it off cuz you know we didn't really get to rehearse we you know cuz everyone lives in all different different places and it was just all like it was kind of all horrible but <laughs> but then it was yeah it was brilliant and like when there's that many people like even if all of them are just like politely clapping it just sounds like yeah 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 yeah. so it it felt it felt good it felt after the first song like okay it's not it's not the disaster that we had all been totally convinced it was going to be
0: yeah and for you like was that kind of like the biggest stage that you'd played on
1: yeah it has to be i'm sure yeah
0: so were you kind of like quite daunted by it or like as you say once you kind of got that first song out of the way did you did you kind of get into a bit of a rhythm
1: yeah i think yeah getting the first song out of the way definitely felt better and but even though it's that big it's like the stage itself is isn't you know it's kind of bits of plywood nailed together it's not like some (laughs) yeah i don't know it's not like a a reading festival stage or something like that yeah 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 um no that's fair
0: enough and then, in terms of like other stuff, because I think was the second record out by then. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, it just come out. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, that kind of brought more eyes to it, and sort of a bit more kind of quote unquote buzz sort of thing. And then, obviously, you did a bit more of an extended European run that kind of ended with another festival with Mr. Oh, Stars of course, yeah. and like. I don't know like what was that kind of like doing a longer run with with the guys in terms of not necessarily like band chemistry but i guess kind of just sort of like seeing the fruits of your labor like rather than it just being the odd one-off kind of thing
1: um yeah that that was wicked that one i mean it was what was it seven gigs and it felt it felt a lot longer (laughs) i think and also you know uh, my daughter was not very old at that point i did i did want to get back home in a lot of ways, yeah but um yeah that that was wicked, like you know, in terms of getting to know each other properly, like some of the other guys, it's just they're they're all such nice people, I think that that's higher on the criteria than ability, uh even though they're all you know super capable musicians, I think just being nice <laughs> and it's uh, it's yeah. just made for yeah <laughs> uh, just when everyone's really considerate towards each other um you know and it, it's the first time you know apart from Carnis it's the first sort of band i've been in where everyone's vegan so everyone's got the same uh we want to go eat there you know yeah yeah um, yeah just yeah. all of that i don't know it, it felt really good in that respect but on, on that That's tour good. you know we only met kelly the cellist on the day of the first gig and yeah and yeah. she you know for her to uh just respond to a facebook uh post be like yeah okay I'll be a cellist, and then just to travel. I think the first gig was in Nine Megan. um, You know, for her to to just jump on a train to go go on tour with some band she's never met. (laughs) It's pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you know, it's pretty. I respect that a lot. And then yeah, and she was just she's fantastic. You know, so now she's she's on board. So yeah, yeah. it, It was all all worked out amazingly.
0: That's cool. And what's kind of like the the latest with kind of morrow like is there kind of again similar to shells is there like new material sort of being worked on or because of like covid of things kind of taken a bit of a back seat for the time being like where's things stand at the moment um
1: well i do it all on my computer so i've got probably like probably about 80 percent of it is done um yeah but it has been done for quite a while that much of it um so i don't know if you can hear that ice cream van yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, <was> gonna say. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell Iris that, that she's like what's that noise? I'm like that's just the van that doesn't sell anything at all nothing <laughs>
0: um, that's all... I was half expecting to see you go around
1: <laughs> leaders um, no what, what was I saying so yeah uh, it's kind of because I'm working from home and with Iris running around like it's hard to get the rest of it written but uh, yeah. there's there's not loads to do so you know, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we'll get back in the studio by sort of I don't know January, February, and, and get that one, yeah. get that one done.
0: That's cool. And is it like, because as you say, like, with the way that Alex writes his lyrics and and things like this, like, and with Morrow as a project, he's kind of got this narrative story kind of flowing through it. So do you know if it's kind of following? on from that or is yeah. it, Or have you kind of not broached that subject yet yeah
1: no he 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 sort of uh when we hang out he, he he's basically like a storyteller like he's gonna make the most most yeah, yeah. incredible granddad like that's what he does on tour <laughs> he just like he tells stories that you know that he just makes up so
0: that's the thing i really want to get him on here but i just i've never had the opportunity to to broach the subject just him.
1: give him a shout you know i think he, yeah.
0: he might you know he's, he's quite
1: quite shy so but you know, yeah um it would be good though yeah but you know he should just yeah just tell stories as well like <laughs> you can just sit <laughs> back but yeah so he's explained to me what's going to happen uh in terms of that like that world on the next record so i've been it, it's a funny one like the way i kind of write and try and work with some of the story arcs um yeah that's happens, what i was going to ask
0: music. like does it is it kind of Music first, lyrics second, or vice versa, or is it a bit of a mishmash of both?
1: It's a a mishmash, I think. Well, it's probably usually uh, I'll come up with some songs, and then we'll talk about the story, and then that will maybe affect me changing some bits, and you know, yeah. It's I don't know. There is not really one particular way that we approach it.
0: Yeah. And then another thing that I want to talk to you about is uh, because I think you are the only person I've actually interviewed that's done a quote-unquote quarantine band right in in social distance and like like obviously I know it was just that like the five track EP and things like that but like what was that kind of like to do like I I know as you say like you've got the means to record and everything in your home anyway but to literally have everything like done of virtually via computer was it kind of a strange thing to like hear those songs come together or did it just because the way technology's moved it just kind of felt natural
1: yeah it was well i just did mine my, my stuff i just did in one evening actually i think it was um yeah it was all written uh and demoed uh so i just played along to these riffs yeah i don't think i had yeah. the vocals at that point yeah just kind of wrote some bass lines but that mostly followed the guitars Uh, as I went along song by song uh, you know figured it out and then and then just record it and then just sent it off and it was really the other guys that kind of pulled it together into a proper a proper release
0: but that's not that's what I mean like when you've kind of heard it was it because obviously as I say like I'm not musically minded at all in that kind of aspect yeah so like was it strange to like record these like files send them off and then next thing you know they've formulated a full song that's being released it was quite
1: weird actually yeah and i I think it's it came out sounding so good like i wasn't expecting it to sound as punchy as it does uh so i think i'd already because i i did my parts and then a couple of days later i was in bed with with covid for like two weeks oh yeah and so it was after that i think that then i i heard the finished product and I'd forgotten how any of it sounded. Like <laughs> and yeah, a surprise. fair enough.
0: And is it literally is it gonna be like a one and done thing or Probably like Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. Right, Dave, I've taken up way too much of your time. Um, but how I always end these is to ask my guests what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. Um but you because you've been in loads of bands, but we're go- I'm going to stick with Morrow because it's the one that's kind of, I guess, most active. Yeah. But so, what's your favorite Morrow song you like to play live and why?
1: Um, well, I'd say the same answer for any band it's probably the the last song in the set because it means okay, <laughs> you've got all the rest of it, done. means you're nearly done, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but with Morrow, I think it. Is, uh, uh, with Morrow, yeah, the last song we play is quite easy as well, so that's that's. But actually you know what? I'll change it no the Noah, the first song we play the Noah, because it's I think it it, it, it it's a good uh, indicator of everything that Morrow does it's got yeah, yeah it, show, it shows it all
0: perfect brilliant Dave thank you very much for your time really Thanks, appreciate Tim. it take care mate no bye bye So there we have it folks. Again, a massive thank you and shout out to Dave for taking some time out of his day to have a little chat with me. Um, I love it when I'm able to have sort of like friends on the show, especially right now, because I'm not getting to see them as much as I usually would. So it gives me an excuse to chat to them and grill them about their past. So yeah, thanks again, Dave, for yeah, being generous with your time. Um but anyway, if you want to keep up to date with everything that morrow or shells are doing, then as always, there'll be various social media links in the show notes of this episode Um, we've got a few more cool chats lined up and in the in the bag for the coming weeks but as always we'll kind of keep rolling and and get things going so i'm really excited to get those ones out for you Um, but as always if this is the first time you're listening to the show or the 169th then please subscribe rate review really really does help us and like the last couple of weeks we've been hitting some good figures so let's continue that and keep pushing i guess i don't know what towards but yeah i don't know what i'm talking about now but yeah anyway as always thank you for stopping by the justin inside podcast and i'll see you soon